Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. In this episode of our DC podcast series, policy directors Elizabeth Gore and Elizabeth Mayer bring their broad knowledge of congressional issues from both sides of the aisle together for a discussion on what's ahead after Trump's first 100 days in office. Brownstein's strategic advisor, Senator Mark Begich, moderates a discussion that covers the health care bill that just passed the House, Trump's use of ads, as well as budgetary concerns, job creation, and infrastructure. This is Mark Begich, former senator from Alaska and now strategic advisor to Brownstein. I'm very happy to be here again with Elizabeth Gore and Elizabeth Mayer doing the Elizabeth and Elizabeth Show. Elizabeth Gore is policy director, serves as chair of Brownstein's government relations department, and has more than 20 years' experience in democratic policy, politics, and advocacy. She works as a strategist and a lobbyist for a wide range of clients navigating Capitol Hill and executive agencies on the on their behalf. Elizabeth Mayer is a policy director, is well-trusted policy and political advisor at Brownstein. Elizabeth worked more than 10 years as legislative director to U.S. Senator John Kyle, Arizona Republican. She now focuses her efforts and expertise on advising Brownstein's clients on numerous legislative and regulatory issues and uses her experience to advance clients' priorities. Today, we want to talk a little bit about you know, it's it's you know past 100 days now with the Trump administration. Kind of what's what does it look like the next six eight months from now? What's the the view shed look like? And we know you know the House has passed uh, their version of a health care bill. Now we're going to see the Senate, in theory, take it up over the next several months. What what does that look like? Or maybe there's nothing there. What what what's the, I'll start with Elizabeth Gore and go from there. Well, thank you. I think that health care has a long way to go before it gets to the president's desk. I think the Senate is unlikely to act on it, frankly. The bill that passed through the House has really no strong support in the Senate. Um, and it's very difficult to find a path or to see a path forward for the repeal and replace um, effort in the Senate. The other thing I would say is there's a timing problem here. Because of the procedure that they're using on the health care package, that backs everything else up. They can't work on tax reform. They can't work on the 2018 budget, which starts in just a couple of months, until they dispose of the health care bill one way or the other. And my view is that the Senate is not going to uh, – burn a lot of time on this because they don't see a path forward. And my expectation is um, this is going to fizzle with a whimper, not a bang. And um, we're not going to see a health care bill headed to the president's desk anytime this year. Uh, Elizabeth Mayer, do you think we'll do you think the Senate will even vote on it or does it kind of just um, kind of as just noted kind of fade I, I, away? I do um, only because um, if you take Senator McConnell at his word, um, he said that he is, um, you know, effectively the lead, the leader of repealing Obamacare um, in the Congress. And I think that while there are a number of Republican senators who would be okay with not voting on a, let's say, doomed package that can't actually get to the president's desk, um, or that there will be an effort. There are um, there are efforts afoot among 
a number of Republicans in the Senate as we speak offices um, to continue to meet to try to figure out a path forward off of what the House um, has passed. So I I do think that there could be a vote. If it's a vote and it goes down, um, or if it's a vote and then they don't ever get to a place where they have something the president can sign, then at least the Senate can say that they've voted on something in this year. Do, do you think, you know, there's this kind of new piece of the puzzle? I mean, I just saw, and I think you guys have seen some of them, these new ads that the uh, presidents reelect, or some, I mean, it's him spending money on talking about the great success of the 100 days. Do you think like this kind of item, I mean, that's first, that's a new, you know, you have s- uh, s- subgroups doing that, but this is a direct from the president saying all these great things he's done. Do you think they'll use that tool in the reverse, meaning here's a health care bill that, let's say, doesn't pass, that he says shame on them so he doesn't get the blame for it? I mean, this is a new nuance, this, this advertisement, which I assume will happen for now to through 2018 and beyond. I'm just assuming that. I don't know. Um, it is a bit odd to so much. It's unusual. So- we haven't seen – we've seen it from groups supporting issues, but directly from the president – at less than six months after he's been elected. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I, it's different. I saw it for the first time last week on CNN, and I was a bit taken aback. But um, it's a it's a new day. It's a it's a media age. Um, so and maybe we just have to get used to it. Um, I I will say um, what I fear, and I hope this doesn't happen. But for Republicans, is that let's just say that the House bill got steam and did end up passing into law, that it will happen in the reverse, that the that Democrats will um, whole cloth figure out way to, figure out ways to air ads, um, particularly in the House. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it doesn't come true, uh, blaming Republicans for continued um, high premiums high cost, high. and for individuals losing coverage, mm-hmm. even if nothing passes. It's like a no win. It's a no win. Um, And, you know, Republicans effectively did it um, uh, related to Obamacare also. So it's it's really hard to know um, what emphasis will um, take hold over the next few months. What do you think, Elizabeth Gore? Yeah, so a couple of things on that. With respect to the president, I think that um, Donald Trump has always tried to go around the media. That's his whole strategy with Twitter and social media is that he goes around any kind of filter of the traditional media sources. And these ads are just another manifestation of that. So I I think it's not really that surprising. It's unusual, but it's also unusual for a president to um, be tweeting at 6 o'clock in the morning and making new policy in a relatively uninformed and reckless way. And that's what this president does. So um, I think the ads are really just another step in that um, direction. Um, With respect to um, whether we're going to continue to see ads um, throughout the um, cycle, I think that's true. Um, I, 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 Elizabeth Mayer made a comment that she she hoped – it sounded like she was saying she hoped that Republicans 
um, weren't going to face advertising against their vote on health care. A hundred percent they're going to. <laughs> Members of Congress are going to be held responsible and held accountable on the legislation that they vote on. And the House of Representatives has passed a terrible bill that's going to strip insurance coverage from millions, tens of millions of people. It takes away a lot of the protections on pre-existing conditions and essential health benefits that Obamacare provided. And there is no question, I don't even think there's any um, open question about the fact that House Republicans who voted for this, and if the Senate votes on a similar bill, same thing in the Senate. Absolutely, there's going to be an onslaught of, of um, advertising um, holding those members accountable for bad policy and terrible legislation. And, and in my view, rightfully so. Elizabeth Mayer? Uh, well, <laughs> I uh, want to give you at least a response. Yeah, opportunity. No, not to focus so much on health care because we have so many other topics right. we want to get on to. But I, I will say that, um, you know, what I was trying to say was that even if the bill doesn't pass into law and goes no further than the House of Representatives and um, let's say nothing passes, I believe that there will be ads targeting Republicans as though something did pass. No um, matter what. No matter what. And, um, so the, and the door so, and, has been open. Yeah. And so the ideas behind some of the um, goals f- among Republicans for reform of health care, um, such as uh, more free market uh, possibilities and participation and, you know, these efforts at pooling and also um, then the driving down because of competition of premiums for those individuals in the country um, who will have an opportunity, more an opportunity in the free market to get insurance, I fear will get uh, undercoated by um, uh, all the criticism that is um, vociferous and loud right now among the Democrats on health care. Well, let me, uh, I'm going to transition now because health care is, you, you've just kind of given that to the, the listeners. And I know this is, the, you know, one thing about Brownstein's firm, we are a bipartisan firm and creates opportunity where our clients get really good information on both sides so they can make good judgment of what they need to do on their policy. This is an example. It's not easy. There's a lot of moving parts to it. And no matter what happens in the next few months, this issue on healthcare does not end there. It just seems it's always going to be churning out there. When you think about the next six, eight months or so, these other issues that are kind of, you know, you still have a CR, a continuing resolution. It doesn't really solve. I was describing this to someone today. I said, they're going to have to do the budget in a different environment. And the person asked me, what do you mean? I said, well, doing it in spring and summer is different. Doing it around Christmas and Thanksgiving is a whole different ballgame. As a former member, I know this. The psyche of the member changes for a variety of reasons. A lot of family issues start occurring, and they decide to do things that may be rational or irrational because other pressures are on them. So think about where we're going to be. And if you could kind of have that crystal ball, what are the issues that we're going to be sitting on in this town, in this country, come this fall? And what's going to be the boiling point? What's the hot stuff that's out there? 
Well, I would just quickly say it's funny. I was um, meeting with um, congressional staff yesterday, and um, they were bemoaning how partisan everything is and um, how difficult things in the Senate are right now. And that person said, but, you know, we all believe that maybe give it six months or so, things might get better. I don't think that's the case at all. I think that um, it's going to get worse because I think that the budgetary processes the Congress is going to go through and good or bad, and I'm not going to editorialize um, the potential budget cuts that might occur are going to put us back in a situation come end of August, September, where we might not have gone at all through the regular appropriations process, let's say, in past bills. And um, we're going to be backing up against I dare you, I dare you, are you going to let the government shut down, are you going to let the government shut down? Mm -hmm. And it might not be um, as As easy as this time, amicable as this ended up being with this cycle of appropriation. So I fear for that. I think that that is um, very likely to uh, complicate things. I used to say in the Senate, anytime you throw money on the table, you don't have to pay for it, you get compromised. And that's what they did with the CR, right? Everyone got money. Yes. And everyone said, oh, everything's good now. But that was small amounts for what's about to occur. Elizabeth Gore? Yeah, so this is what I think we're some of the big issues that we're going to be seeing in the next six to eight months. My view is the health care package probably won't get through the Senate. It certainly won't get to the president's desk. They won't be able to come up with a compromise between the House and the Senate. And so there are going to be other efforts to sort of maybe make more marginal changes on health care, either through the appropriations process or through the tax code. So I think we're going to continue to see health care um, related provisions, even if this large repeal and replace bill uh, falters. Um, I think there's going to be an effort on tax reform. This is something that the um, leadership has talked about. The president um, uh, released a, a document, a one-page um, list of bullet points um, that he characterizes his tax plan. Um, so th- that certainly has some momentum. Th- there's going to be continued debate on on the wall. We had a budget debate about the the wall between the U.S. and Mexico, and I, I don't think that's gone. I think we're going to see more debates on that. Um, Elizabeth Mayer mentioned the potential cuts in a variety of governmental agencies, and I think that that's true. The president issued a um, preliminary um, budget outline for 2018 that included a 30 percent cut at the Environmental Protection Agency, a 25 percent cut at the Department of Labor, cuts at the National Institutes of Health. All the way across the budget, we saw these big reductions. I don't think a lot of those are ever going to come to pass, but they will create um, a, a big debate as we try and get through the budget process, as Elizabeth Mayer mentioned um, a few minutes ago. And the last thing I would highlight is the debt ceiling. We have to raise the debt ceiling. Uh, we don't have a precise date, but it looks like it's going to be sometime in September, maybe October. So, so right around when we're right doing all the, the budget stuff. Exactly. <laughs> right in the middle of these funding bills, we're also going to have a, a fight about the debt ceiling. Um, all of that means to me that the partisanship, the rancor that we see is not going to abate. And I agree with Elizabeth Mayer that it could even get worse before it gets better because I think there is really – um, erosion of the sense of cooperation that, um, that that typically we've seen in the Senate um, 
you know, historically. Let me ask you, you know, we saw last month they had the GDP at less than 1%. The growth wasn't like people were expecting. They thought it would be stronger. It's almost, you know, is there a jobs agenda coming somewhere in, you know, you would think, because everyone campaigned on that, here we are, we're stuck in the kind of the, the D.C. circuit where you're just kind of going in a circle on some of these items. But it seems like jobs somewhere in this mix over the next several months, because if, you know, by June, July, which we're really getting close to here, you're going to lose half the year. So you're not going to have the growth makeup you need. So what's the thought there, Elizabeth Mayer? Well, uh I'm assuming there's a jobs and, agenda out there somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, I mean, I don't always defend the Trump administration, believe me, but I believe that in this particular instance that um, sincerely everything that they believe um, they are doing um, related to taxes, immigration, tightening, um, and other issues are all literally designed to produce jobs. They believe that lowering the corporate rate on taxes um, will enable individuals to hire more people. Um, They believe um, that with respect to some of the ideas on tax reform, that rather than, and if they increase the deficit, that it isn't at least a wealth transfer program. I think that's exactly what Mick Mulvaney said, that it's a way for people to keep more of their hard-earned dollars, and therefore more jobs will be created by small business people, among small business people, and through the corporate rate reduction um, through large-scale corporations. So that goes to, and I'll have Elizabeth Gore respond to what Elizabeth Mayer just said, and that is, this goes to one of the fundamental differences, I think, with Democrats and Republicans in regards to the scoring. Republicans, the way you just describe that, is dynamic scoring, right? That if you do certain things in the economy, and I'm actually one of those that voted in favor when I was in the Senate with increasing that number, because I thought dynamic scoring is part of the equation. But that's one of the fundamental differences, and where Democrats view, well, that you won't get the growth you project, so you actually have to put some hard money down and do some things. So, Elizabeth Gore, give me your feedback and thought on that. I agree with Elizabeth Mayer that the Trump administration believes that its policies on trade, regulatory reform, tax reform, immigration, that those will produce jobs. They're just wrong about that. That's the problem with the policy is that the policy is is flawed. So I got to interrupt um, you. So you have to disagree with his comment that says America has rarely seen such success in the first hundred days. Well, I certainly. I tee you up here, but so, just continue on. Certainly <laughs> I disagree with that. But I think in terms of a job creation yeah. um, policy that um, there's no evidence that making dramatic cuts to tax rates actually creates jobs. And that's one of the things that's been shown over and over again. And yet the president, you know, clings to it like a life preserver and um, insists on repeating that over and over where I think it's just has not shown been shown to be the case. Um, And I think there's there's also questions 
on some of these other issues, including immigration and trade and regulatory reform. One of the things that's ironic to me is that this president has proposed dramatic cuts in job training, in education. You know, these these are the um, fundamental building blocks for workers to actually be able to get new skills and to um, be able to be successful in an economy that is increasingly reliant on high-skilled labor. And so I, I think that the irony here is that he's pursuing um, policies that actually are not going to help workers, um, and he's cutting programs that have been a great boost to the middle class for many years. Well, doesn't – now, did I – and I may be wrong on the number, but he, he wanted to spend or at least has projected to spend a trillion dollars on infrastructure. Of course, there's no infrastructure bill yet, but that's a old style, as I call it, jobs bill, right? Keynesian it, sort of – yeah, yeah. Way like of we'll spend it and we'll grow it, right. uh, and we'll put yeah, jobs up. But is that a re- reality? Is that in the Congress over the next six, eight months? Is that going to happen? Is that just a great political statement? Well, I don't is think it? he ever was going to spend a trillion dollars. He talked about a trillion dollar package, but that was a creative accounting um, and included things like, um, oh, we're going to save companies money by streamlining regulation, and then that would go on the tally, or we're going to provide a tax break, or we're going to provide a loan guarantee, and that's going to leverage additional funds. And so it was never intended to be a trillion dollars out the door. It was it was sort of a patchwork of policies, and by their accounting, it would have been a trillion-dollar package, but it wasn't ever a trillion dollars in spending. Elizabeth Mayer? I would disagree a little bit with Elizabeth Gore on that, um, just because I I felt like over time that the conversations between the Trump administration and the Congress, while at the very beginning, were focused more on loan guarantees and otherwise not tangible dollars that made up the trillion dollars, I believe that they started adopting more this idea that a trillion dollars worth of actual infrastructure, or at least a blending more of the loan guarantees through the private sector, and then just flat out spending would and could come to fruition. But um, I agree with Elizabeth Gore. Um, I, I believe you said this, that it, it just doesn't look to us, I don't believe that, um, at least in the immediate, that this is um, a reality, it's a reality and it's going to take a while to get back to a place where um, a realistic um, conversation is actually occurring about infrastructure. Let me ask you this to kind of close out our, our session here. If you could look at the next six months, we've talked about things that are kind of start, stop, start, stop. Is there anything out there that you could say the likelihood of X will pass. Is there something out there, other than executive orders, because those are happening every week? Uh, you know, but is there anything that in Congress, other than there, you know, there's some standard stuff, FAA reauthorization, those things. But is there anything that in the next six, seven months that, that you know that is, I don't want to say earth changing or you know, but something that says to the American people that oh, these guys are actually working together. I mean, is there something out there that you could grab onto, or is it just too much dis- dysfunctional D.C. that you just kind of muddle through and hope it all works at the end of the day? Elizabeth Gore and Elizabeth Merritt? 
I don't think there's going to be any big, major, bipartisan legislation that passes in 2017. Now, that said, there are some areas of compromise, some areas of agreement, and you may see some bipartisan bills, maybe, um, you know, something on broadband uh, Drug rural, addiction rural issues? Bro- broadband. Drug addiction issues, yeah, too? Yeah, maybe or? on opioids. That's yeah. a good one. There there are areas where there is um, agreement and where you might be able to see a path for bipartisan legislation. But I think it's going to be the small ball. It's not going to be um, a big overarching tax bill or a big budget uh, reorganization. Transformational. Exactly. Elizabeth Mayer? Um, I completely agree with Elizabeth Gore. I, I, I do not believe anything very large scale will pass. I would offer up two sort of areas. Um, one, I'm cheating, um, is tax reform or taxes. And um, there is a small chance that a an unpaid for um, just simple rate cut on the mm-hmm. corporate and individual side might get some traction and could pass without um, anybody paying for it. Okay. Which is um, always the art of compromise. Don't pay for it. Everyone's happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no uh, money. <laughs> I won't give it an over under yeah. you know, for this year. Certainly, I, I just can't predict and maybe that won't happen, but it could. And then second, um, I agree about the broadband idea. I also would add in, and this is more of a, a sort of a commerce committee set of ideas that there are a number of senators uh, who are becoming increasingly concerned about not just Department of Homeland Security oriented security um, priorities, but surface transportation security and um, the idea that um, a lot of our infrastructure in this country is quite vulnerable um, on the security front. And so I, we might actually see some work together on that regard and something uh, pass this year on that. Well, that's, that's an interesting topic at the end there because if you don't, if you talk about infrastructure, certain extent, transportation is part of the equation. So security in that arena is an interesting field. Mm-hmm. Let me uh, again say to the Elizabeth Elizabeth show, as usual, it's always entertaining and uh, both have strong opinions on what's going on. And again, from our client's perspective, uh, you offer incredible viewpoints that are helpful in understanding what's going on and what is potentially in the future. And, and I know I put you on the spot asking, what do you think the crystal ball is? If we knew that, it would be such a nice day today. Uh, But we know only the weather is nice today, but tomorrow it's another day. So thank you both for being here. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Visit www.bhfs.com for more information.